Welcome to the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series podcast. Each week, we'll learn from leaders who are driving change and making an impact. Now, here's your host, the CEO of the Youngstown Publishing Company, Jeff Leo Herman. Today, we're going to focus on finding your fit and the importance of fit, cultural fit, that is, even in a manufacturing environment where perhaps there are lots of technical skills and certifications that are needed, but we can't lose sight of cultural alignment and really working on the soft skills around how to you know, function well within a company. And this insight is coming straight from Chris Allen. Chris is the North American Talent Acquisition Manager for Valoric. And he provides great insight. He, he, this is one of his favorite topics. He spends a lot of time working in the community, working with students on the importance of soft skills and really helping them hone and understand that you just, you might be technically qualified, but you still need the soft, soft skills and the ability to communicate and the ability to effectively function within a team. So we get into assessments, we get into scoring models, we get into tools and tactics and methods you can use to actually determine fit objectively uh, beyond kind of the subjective hiring decisions that are often made. So please tune in uh, to this conversation with Chris. And as always, thank you for listening to the Brain Game Podcast. So Chris, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Definitely appreciate your time. You're welcome, Jeff. Well, so we have Chris Allen here. He is the North American Talent Acquisition Manager for Valorik USA. Is that correct, Chris? Did I get that That's right? Correct. You got it right. So Chris, we all start, every conversation we have starts out with, what did you want to do when you grew up? What did you dream to do as a child? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I never, as a kid, I never really um, uh, had picked like one specific vocation or profession that I wanted to go into. I think more, mine was more, it was broader in respect to, um, I'm a very social person. Uh, and I knew all pretty much all my life that I was going to be working in some capacity where uh, I was working and interacting with people, uh, whether it be what I, you know, I worked in human resources for 28 years. Uh, I kind of fell into that role. It wasn't something that, you know, I went to college for. Uh, actually, I went to college to get into broadcasting uh, and that didn't play out. And the first job I got you know, it was in a human resources capacity and I've just been working in it ever since for 28 years, but it could have been sales. It could have been, you know, marketing, anything that's forward, forward projecting, you know, with, uh, people. Um, right. and so I never really, I never really said, no, oh, I'm going to be a doctor or a garbage man or, you know, anything like that. It was more, you know, I just, I just want to be around people. Right. Did you have any um, people you looked up to as a child? I did. Actually, uh, one of the people when I was very young, uh, my one grandfather owned a fairly large bakery in Warren, Ohio. Hmm. It was called Allen's Bakery. Uh, he was much older, uh, so I didn't have a lot of like personal interaction with him. But I was always impressed by the fact that this is a man who uh, wasn't very well educated, uh, developed a business that people told him he couldn't he couldn't do because uh, he wasn't a baker by trade. Um, he was a sales guy. Um, right. And uh, he built this business and was pretty successful and ran from, 
you know, the mid fifties through uh, 1976 or 77 uh, and was very successful at it. Uh, And I always, it it was, you know, as a younger uh, boy, you know, walking into the bakery and looking at all these, these guys, because mostly guys back then, you know, you know, working back there and watching them uh, make all this stuff. It was pretty impressive to me. Uh, And knowing that I had a grandfather that he owned this, these are his employees. And right. that always, it always impressed me that he was able to do that. Right. True entrepreneurship. I mean, it's, you know, from scratch, right? That's right. One. <laughs> yeah. But, and you said, I mean, it, it kind of, it's interesting. He liked engaging with the public and he liked probably serving his customers. And oh, by the way, baking was how he accomplished that. Right. That's exactly it. Um, and again, that goes back to your first question is, you know, what did you want to be? And it's the same kind of thing where it's, it could be that it could be working in a bakery. It could be working in human resources for a large manufacturing company. Uh, it's all about interacting with people and working with people. Right. Well, so what's interesting that the fact that you're a talent, you're in your role and your title is talent, the word talent, right. But, you know, commonly known as human resources. So how do you see the word talent being used, is that explicitly used? And, and why would a big manufacturing entity focus on talent, right? And that, that's- oh, that's a good question. So talent is a, a broader uh, word than just recruiting or even human resources. Uh, and human resources covers a lot of different things uh, that people probably aren't aware of. You know, it covers everything from you getting your paycheck all the way over to making sure that uh, our employees are being developed in the way that they want to see themselves uh, in the future. Uh, and then there's everything in between. There's employee relations, there's all of that. Um, and talent uh, in my role is not only external, you know, coming into the company, but it's also internal. So part of my responsibility is making sure that uh, we're providing tools and resources to help develop uh, people internally. Um, so there's a lot of interaction internally on that side of it. And then there's the interaction that's outside, uh, the recruiting piece. Uh, and also part of that talent is how you are uh, projecting the company. So I don't hold a marketing role. It's, I would say more, it's an employer branding role. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, you're representing the company you work for. Right now it's Valorec. It, it could be anywhere. But uh, you're, part of my job is to make sure that everybody in the community that we're in, uh, regardless if it's in Youngstown or Houston or Muskogee, Oklahoma, uh, understands who we are and what we are and what we provide to the community. Um, and that right there is all, th- those three things basically are, are talent. Right. You know, uh, you know my, what my focus is uh, right now. So then when I heard the word tools and resources, so you're not making widgets, right? And and there's probably very systematic ways to do, you know, obviously systematic ways to do things in a manufacturing environment, but are the, say the employees or the associates of Valoric, are they trained and are, do they get more meaningful training for their own personal development as well? Uh, yes. Yeah, so it, it depends on, um, you know, where they are, who they are, where they work, Um I don't, I'm not necessarily involved in the one piece of it, but I think it's a, should be part of the answer is, uh, you know, on, on the hourly side, uh, 
of the business, uh, we provide our employees with what we call a skill-based development program, mm. uh, which is a program that's set up almost like an apprenticeship where once you achieve these classes and these levels that you can move up and pay. Uh, part of that is soft skills training. Um, so it's not, it's not only about learning how to do your job, it's learning how to interact within that job, right? So learning how to communicate, learning all, all these different skills that aren't specifically about turning wrenches or making pipe. Um, I think that is good for you know, them uh, in personal development because that not only helps them at work, but it helps them outside of work with right. every other thing that they do. Now on the other side of that, to give you an example of um, personal development, um, you know, this year was a strange year, of course, um, a lot of people working remotely. Uh, so one of the things we put in place is uh, an assessment that we gave to employees uh, to measure their abilities doing remote work. Uh, and then we sat down with them and went over the results of that, looking at their strengths and where they have gaps uh, and helping them understand that, you know, in that environment, this is what you need to do. And again, that not only helps them at work, but that it helped. I've had people give me feedback that it helped them at home while they were helping their kids do work at for school. So right. they took some of that resource and applied that to their their kids' schooling. Well, that's good to hear. And I know, and I know. Speaking of kids' schooling, so you know, once again, we're gonna for the next several years, it's gonna be pre-COVID, post-COVID conversations. But you had a very busy, busy schedule working directly in the schools. And I recently saw you present at the uh, Junior Achievement Virtual Career Fair. I think you you came on before Trestle. So you were, were you the warm-up act for Trestle? <laughs> uh, I think I was a couple before him. Okay. Actually, in the original schedule, he was supposed to come right before me. So I was sweating that a little bit because I had to follow that up. Well, <laughs> but, well guess what? He was right before me. <laughs> so, obviously, you know, the the virtual participation just, you know, tanked. <laughs> they saw my yeah. big face on this. Yeah, he's a hard one to follow. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's an amazing speaker. Um, I've heard him talk many, many times. In fact, you know, he was uh, he was the head football coach at YSU while I was going to school there. Right, right. And even back then, he, he was he's always had that that knack for presenting to people, regardless of the crowd or the situation. Um, and, you know, he's he, if you see him at work at the university with the students, he is the most amazing uh, person with that. And to go through and see that transformation when he first started to the way it is now over a very short period of time, it's amazing what he's done over there. Oh, Not to get on, on that topic all, yeah. all through, but I mean, endless learnings from a leadership standpoint, you know, just, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, before we took the tangent uh, <laughs> over to President Tressel. So, you know, I watched your presentation at the Junior Achievement Job Fair, and I've seen you present directly to the kids, you know, once again, pre-COVID. So you do focus a lot on the soft skills side of it. And, and that's fascinating because that's something that we don't often think about from a career development standpoint. So could you take us through a methodology or what, how you normally approach that subject? Well, sure. Um, so whether it's internal or external, uh, one of the biggest uh, problems, and it is a problem, uh, and one of the biggest challenges we have as, as an employer is finding people who fit into the company, right? 
Uh, so I've worked at a few different places, different industries, and it always comes down to that, where you know, you're looking at people and their skill sets and whether or not they have that right uh, skill set to fit into the job that you have open. But there's another piece to this. And over the years, most employers have in, uh, in included assessments in their application process to determine whether or not uh, a, a candidate is a good fit for the company. I use quote unquote. Uh, that fit usually does not um, include their technical abilities. It's pretty easy to determine whether or not a person has technical abilities. You can talk to them for five, 10 minutes and find out whether or not they know the terminology, they understand the, you know, the, the mechanics of whatever you're asking them to do. The other part of that is whether or not, you know, culturally they fit into your company. And a lot of that comes down to, do they have the right soft skills to do it? Wow. So and you're talking the- more of a subjective, well, it, it can be measured. And I think you'll probably get into how, like you said, an assessment, but this is fits. Um, and I, I never really thought about that. So it's not technical ability, which like you said, that's observable. Those are observable characteristics. You're talking right. about observing their like their personality their mo- almost. Or their yeah, mind. well, not, not so much the personality. You, you, you look at motivational fit. You know, do they have the right motivation? Uh, do they have, uh, uh, do they prefer to work on a team or, or uh, by themselves? Um, and those things are all determined uh, by what your company culture is, right? So you have to first look at what does a company as a whole want to see in their workforce? And then you go out and you base your interviewing skill, you know, assessments and interviews based on what the company wants to see through job analysis and all that kind of stuff. Um, But the reason why I always talk to uh, students about it is, you know, you look at our skill-based development program and we have these soft skills that are included in that. And that's because the company said, we see a need here because there isn't enough of it. And we spend a tremendous amount of money internally to get our, our current employees up to where we want them to be, which means that anybody externally coming in is probably in the same kind of uh, level of soft skills because we, we make them all do it too. So my thought process was, well, I'm going to start presenting this to people outside just because they need to be more aware of that, not only uh, to develop into a good employee regardless of where they work, but also to understand that a lot of your bigger companies are now assessing you on those things. And I think it's overlooked quite a bit that you know you need to be able to communicate. You need to be able to work on a team. You need to be able to uh, have empathy. You need to show that you have motivation and you are uh, you know, innovative and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that was the basis for me to go out and you've probably heard me talk about it more than once is um, the kids, uh, not only in high school and junior high, but in in the universities need to understand that that's going to be a big part of the evaluation process when you're out looking for a job, regardless if you're going to, you know, Chipotle to get a part-time job, or you're coming over to Valorec uh, for, you know, your first full-time position out of school you're being evaluated on all those things. And the more and more I, I interact with younger people, I'm st- starting to sound like an old man now saying, yeah, <laughs> but um, 
there's a there's a need there that there's they lack those skills and i think it's partly because of the nature of how we we interact today uh, a lot of texting um, a lot of you know emails and we don't really talk to people on the phone too much mm-hmm. I, I always joke around it one of the jokes i always use and it's really not a joke because it's reality is like my daughter will be upstairs in our house and be texting me asking me questions when she could walk downstairs and ask me you know in person yes. they feel more comfortable doing it that way but they, they lose those skills that you need, not only for the interview, but to work on a daily basis in, in a setting, you know, a, a work setting. Um, so that's one of the reasons why I always gravitate towards that side of it, because they don't, they don't understand that and they don't, nobody's talking to them about it. And, you know, what's funny is once you, once you start, you go into a classroom and you start talking to these kids about these things the teacher will come up to me afterwards and go, you know what? I, I've always said that they need more of that. Then my answer to that is, well, why aren't you telling them? You know, exactly. it's up right. to all of us to, to work on this. It's not me coming in here. I'm not an expert on it. It's just an observation of mine. And it's right. an it's a observation that includes a lot of people. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, we have so many directions to head with this, this conversation, but in, in a time when, so you have certification and training and technical skills being hammered, but in parallel, and, and you're right, in a world in which we all live on, you know, on these mobile devices and we have these isolated experiences and we communicate in these short bursts of characters, um, there probably needs to be a resurgence of focus back on soft skills and communications, right? Yeah. And just- I 100% agree with that. Um, it. What happens, in, and again, this is just from my observation, what happens is when you go to a schools, whether it be a trade school or a university or even some high schools, uh, there's a lot of emphasis placed on the skill, right? Uh, you have to get this skill. And then a lot of the schools and universities and trade schools, they also have something like career services. Uh, but the career services piece is basically a, a rubber stamp cookie cutter kind of uh, process where they go, this is how you make your resume, and we'll do some mock interviewing with you, and these are the type of questions you have to be able to answer. But they're not telling them that you have to be yourself, right? You have to uh, show motivation. You have to uh, be able to speak in longer sentences than yes or no. Right. And nobody is telling them that. So they come in for interviews. We've had them here. Yeah, come in for interviews. And you're, you're getting these one word answers when the expectation is that you need to talk, be able to talk about yourself. And, you know, during that junior achievement, one of the topics I talked about real quickly was uh, being able to answer that simple question that you get asked in all interviews. Tell me about yourself. And believe it or not, a lot of people have a hard time doing that. Um, and that's why I always bring it up is you want people to become more comfortable just talking about themselves. Um, regard, you know, regarding their work history and, and uh, their interests and all of that, uh, you know, projects that they've worked on, uh, instead of just memorizing your resume and going through that. Right. Uh, if we wanted that, we could have done that over the phone and I just could look at your resume. Yeah. Do you, have, do you have a framework or something to how someone should talk about themselves when we say, tell me about yourself? Do you have like a checklist or how do you tell them to 
Not really. It's it's an open-ended question. Um, it's not, uh, you know, of course, you know, when you're interviewing at a place like Valorec, uh, there's a formal process to it. Part of that formal process is that question. And it's usually the first question, tell, you know, how did you get here? You know, tell me about what you've done. Um, and it's, it's more pointed and usually will direct the candidate saying, you know, we're interested in about your, your work and your past experiences at work. It's not so much about your personal stuff. Like we don't need to know about your dog and your cat and all that. It's more about how your, your history fits into what we're looking for here and why you're sitting here. Right. And it, and it speaks to a level of preparedness. So most people should have, and I'm not saying everyone needs an elevator pitch, right? So if you, if you have, if you spit out the elevator pitch, people think, uh Oh Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's very obvious. It becomes very obvious. So that that's why, you know, and I I go back to the Jay presentation, you know, part of what I talked about is having confidence in yourself. Right. Um, And I, I, I always, I want to get into that a lot more, but I don't always have all the time. But basically, that's what it comes down to is uh, projecting your confidence and being able being comfortable with being able to talk about the things that you've done and your accomplishments. And believe it or not, people are uncomfortable with that or they get nervous about doing that, like they might be saying something wrong. But the more confident, you know, especially young people, the more confident they are, the better they look. Right. You know, it, and it comes down to it sounds silly, but even body language and things when when they project themselves as being confident, they, they sit up straighter. Um, they look you in the eye more. Um, and, you know, if, if people have problems with that, they need to practice it in right. uh, in social settings. And I'd like to get into all that. In fact, I've, I've had classes where that's all we talked about is that um, and gave them examples of what's good and what's not. How, how do you walk the line? How do you recommend someone walk the line between confident and cocky? Because you'll because I see, you know, having kids, I work, you know, interact with kids all day long too, is sometimes, you know, they they're cocky at home, right? <laughs> but right, they, right. in public, they shut down. But I I have seen some kids that have way too much swagger. <laughs> so. Well, you know, in my experiences, swagger doesn't know it. There's not there's no substance to swagger. Right. Anybody can have that. Um, confidence is, is being able to talk about your accomplishments, how you got there, mm-hmm. uh, your thought process. And, and believe it or not, Jeff, a lot of that, when you're talking about stuff like that, and when you have a candidate talking about stuff like that, there's all these things that you can evaluate about them uh, that they're really unaware of. Like, you can find out whether or not they they uh, think strategically, or if they're a tactician. Um, and depending on the type of job or, or what you're thinking about in the future for that job, um, that could play into these things. Maybe you want a strategist. Um, that's that's going to be a future leader. But swagger swagger is not. There's no substance to swagger. Yeah, right? well, I think we just found the title of our podcast. There's no substance. <laughs> Well, so that's interesting. How do you, what cues do you look for to say, oh, okay, strategic thinker or tactical thinker? Is it obvious or is it kind of all relative? Um, a lot of times when you're, when somebody thinks strategically, they'll lay a whole plan out for you um, and how, how they started and what they did to accomplish, say, a project. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you can you can tell that by the way they present the information. Uh, a tactician is more about the substance of what they had to do, right? So yeah, I I I typed this memo. I sent the memo out. Whereas a strategist looks at it and says, well, I had to decide what I was going to say in the memo to to send the right message. I wrote the memo. Um, I asked people to look it over. I you know. Um, went through another reread to make sure it's what I wanted to say. Uh, and it was going to accomplish what I was trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, they, so they lay it out a little bit different. I look at tacticians are more about doing the work. Strategists are more about the outcome and how it's going to come out. Right. And, and this all gets back to that word we started with. It's fit. And, and in many cases, it's not a value judgment, right? It's, it's, someone might not fit, but it doesn't mean they're bad. It just, they just don't fit, you know, and and, and there's a misalignment. And I've had situations I've had to relieve people of their duties. Um, And one of the reasons was, well, you just, it's just not the right fit. I mean, I'm not questioning the value you can deliver for someone else. Right. You do have value in this area, you know, but it's not what we need specifically. You're not filling a gap we have specifically. Right. And that, I mean, that, that notion of finding your fit and hoping it there's a match, right? And, and sometimes, once again, someone could be great on paper, but they just might not match the culture. Right. And that's a big deal. You know, a lot of your bigger employers, that's what they're looking for. And I don't know if you've had the experience of going through like an application process at a large employer, but... Uh, it's not about just your vitals. It, they do, most of them make you take assessments and things. And what people don't understand is those are not a waste of time. And they're not always just a gatekeeper. Um, they're looking at specific things about you based off of a job analysis that they did. And the company uh, decided this is the direction that we want to go with our culture. These are the kind of people we want working here. And it's all based on the going back to those soft skills, all those little little things and nuances that they want to see on teams uh, to direct the culture of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it it's not it's hard for people to get their head around because uh, a lot of times, you know, or not a lot of times, but I've had conversations with people that are like, "Well, I check every box on on your job description that says I need to know this, I need to have this degree, I need that." I, what, why don't I qualify? And trying to explain to them, well, you know, it's, it's this thing, you know, you, you have a tendency to want to uh, be an individual. And maybe we don't want somebody who just wants to stand alone. We want somebody that's part of a team pushing the rock up the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, you get a lot of head scratching because they don't understand what that means. Um, in my world, it's easy. You know, I, I know what all that is. Right. Um, but, uh, and to be honest with you, I've seen it work, um, you know, here at Valorec, when they built the, the FQM mill, um, uh, they went with a platform that was pretty extensive and the assessment was pretty long, um, but it was specifically looking for certain types of individuals. And it didn't matter if you were a production operator out on the floor or if you were you know, a manager of a department, everybody took these assessments. And you can see the, the outcome of that by the, the, the makeup and design of the workforce. Um, 
because they stuck to it. They said, this is what we want. And these are the people we're going to put in place. And it did work. Um, the, the, the thing is, it's getting internally, it's getting the buy-in from management saying, this is, this is the process we're going to use. And this is the outcome you're going to get uh, and getting them to do it because you're adding steps. You know, you add steps in there like, oh, here we go. HR adding, adding things in on me. Um, right. But um, I think once they started to see the outcome of that, um, they, they were on board with it. So then for our small to mid-market business owner audience here, uh, what can you recommend? So I imagine these, these systems, these assessments are, you know, some could be homegrown, some could be services you contract with, but do you have any recommendations on how to apply this in what I would call just more of a lightweight or agile format? Say if, if I'm a, if I own a small business and I need to f- focus on fit, but I'm not quite sure I want to, you know, do all the extra stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, any, any business can actually do it. The first thing that they would have to do is sit down as an owner or the ownership team or upper management and have a real conversation about what they want their workforce to look like. What do they need in their workforce? Mm-hmm. Technical skills aside, what are the other things that you want to see? What is the direction you want to take your company and sit down and list out those things and say, okay, you know, say it's, it's uh, you know, teamwork is top motivational fit and communication. And so maybe it's not even an assessment. Maybe it's uh, you do some research on interview questions that are specifically about those three topics. And you start a rating system. Uh, you rate the candidates based off of their, their answers to those questions that you set up. And you stick to your guns on it and you say, we only want people who rate four and five to be placed in positions. And you stay focused on those things and you will see a a significant difference in the outcome of that if you stick to it. But they have to stick to it. They can't say, well, my buddy Johnny over here needs a job and he didn't score very high on those questions, but we're still going to hire him. That's deviating from your process. You have to stay in line with that. Right. Do you do you model existing employees um, to say, well, you know, here's, here are a couple of people that exemplify how we'd like to operate day to day. Are they, do they kind of provide the benchmark almost? Um, not so much, not in my experiences. My experiences have been, you know, you do the analysis. What do you want? What's the optimal uh, points that you want to see? And you stick to that focus, not say it's, it, we want everybody to look like Jeff, right? It's, it's more about, we want our candidates to be like this, right? They can be a, in a range of those things, like, three, you know, I said four or five, it could be three to five. Um, but they have to fall within that to be a fit for us. Um, so again, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a slippery slope because you don't want, you don't want, uh, you want individuals, you don't want, you know, all of the same kind of person, obviously. Uh, so you have to be a little bit more uh, open with the parameters. But I, I think if, if you did, did something simple like that, you wouldn't even have to have a system if it's a smaller company uh, or assess people for it. Um, it. It's just, what what do you want? What do you want to see? Right. You know, a good example of that outside of manufacturing is, 
um, I can tell that, I don't know if you've, you ever go to Taco Bell, um, but when, regardless of the food they have there, when you go to a Taco Bell, their customer service there is tremendous. And the type of people that they have working there, they must use some kind of fit test or uh, interviewing technique to, to find those people because they're not all the same, but they present themselves in a way that's very friendly, uh, very customer focused, um, very polite. Chick-fil-A is another good example right. of that. Um, you know, the, the, way, the way they have those set up, those people are all very friendly by nature. It's not forced. Um, and you can tell that they're, they're putting them through, through some kind of uh, either assessment or interviewing technique that finds the, that, that specific skill set. I see. So I want to, you know, I'm, I'm sure there, sometimes assessments go awry. So I want to learn about possibly mistakes you've made or things to avoid. But first, before we jump in, into that question, uh, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsors here of the Brain Game Podcast. The Brain Gain is a collaborative effort, and we'd like to thank the headlining members of the coalition, including Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Moransky Companies, and the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition. Also included are Farmers Bank Group, Youngstown State University, Eastern Gateway Community College, the DeBartolo Corporation, Cortland Bank, MS Consultants, and 898 Marketing. Okay, Chris, we're back. I mean, this is a fascinating topic, learning about the role of assessments and fits. So have you, have assessments ever gone too far in, in self-selecting an outcome that was unintended? Um, I don't know about unintended. Uh, I, I think where, where I've seen mistakes in the past is in the analysis part. Um, so a lot of times, uh, if you're going to use assessments and you're going to use a company, uh, they'll ask to come in and do a job analysis where they, they ask a series of questions uh, to um, management indiv individuals, individual contributors. Uh, they get kind of a, uh, a census from various different people within the company as to what they think the, you know, the company culture is. And they'll have a series of answers for that. And then they put all that together and say, okay, here's your, I'm getting, this is going to get a little technical, but here's your weighting on each each category right. and then series of questions and then their answers, they weighed out to see if they fit into that parameter. Well, I've seen it where maybe the people doing the analysis part either weren't completely paying attention to it or putting hundred percent into it, or, uh, you know, it was, it was pencil whipped. And um, the results of that, when you start having people take assessments, you're like, wait a minute, why, why is nobody getting a one? And it's because we set the parameters too wide. And so everybody's going through and fitting into, you know, what our, our weighting is. Right. And you go back and you look at it and all the scales are like this when they should be like that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where we've seen some things where we had to make an adjustment and pay attention a little bit more on the front end to make sure it was more accurate. Uh, so we don't just have this broad spectrum of, of people coming in that quote unquote qualify because uh, it doesn't make any sense. You're spending money on this stuff and everybody's coming through. Wow. That's, that's, that's great advice, actually, to be very specific and precise 
in right. the criteria. It literally it's the criteria or the elements that define each score and, and being, you know, aggressive around scoring it. So right. it's, yeah, well, well, you're right. That is a big, a big mistake. Um, or something to avoid for sure. So I know, you know, you, we've, like you, we've mentioned, you've done a lot of hands-on, you work hands-on with a lot of kids uh, prior to March. You mm -hmm. were out consistently, right? Be it here, be it in Houston, be it in your other uh, facilities. How has your world changed from, how have you adapted to this more virtual world of, of you know, speaking to soft skills, speaking to the fact that, you know, personal face-to-face -face interaction and personal communications are very different. And so do you have coaching or do you make recommendations, you know, in this virtual format, not only how do you convey your message virtually, but then a lot of kids, you know, for the foreseeable future are going to have to also convey their message virtually as they're looking for jobs. So what advice do you give there? Well, try to make it as normal as possible. Um, uh, again, I go back to the junior achievement event we had a couple of weeks ago and, and you and I have talked that, um, you know, we try to do our best on communicating the things that we feel are necessary. Uh, I, I think uh, we're evolving these platforms to accommodate. Um, again, I'd rather meet face-to-face -face or, uh, you know, as a group uh, because you can, you can see reactions a little bit better um, to what you're trying to talk about and, you know, change your narrative based on that. And so th that part is a little bit of a challenge. Uh, in that respect, but I think we're evolving into whatever the next step is uh, to get through this, to accommodate this, this issue that we have right now. Um, and I'm starting to see things come in. The count, my calendar is starting to go back to normal. It's starting to fill back up on using different platforms. And, uh, you know, Junior Achievement, again, is a very good example. Uh, that's kind of on the high end. Um, I think in a couple of weeks, I have something scheduled with... Uh, Camel City Schools uh, in their after-school program, where I'm going to talk to the kids that are in that program through a, a, a platform um, and try to interact with them in that way. Um, so we're going back to doing things uh, like that. It's just, it's not in person. Um, right. And again, I, I, I'm a social person. I need to have that, inter that personal interaction with people. Uh, so I, I myself, that's a challenge for me to get past that part of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's starting, it's starting back up. I think people are getting more comfortable with using tools, um, and figuring out ways of making it creative enough to, to capture the attention of kids in mm -hmm. general. Um, wow. so I think, I think going in, into, you know, the beginning of next year, we're going to see a, a, a bigger ramp up of that once we see some success with what we've done so far. Right. And, and speaking of, so we're, it's currently December 2nd, 2020, right? So um, do you see an emerging war for talent? So in the Mahoning Valley specifically, we have Lordstown Motors ramping up. We have GMLG Chem ramping up, TJX Distribution Centers, Old Dominion Trucking. There's just a number of large organizations in it, and there seems to be a, also, also a lot of um, businesses continuing to ramp and hire. How, what are you doing, you know, from the notion of talent, uh, you know, how do you retain your best employees? Because they might be attracted to say some of these new opportunities where they, some of these entities might be waving some money around. So it, it's always been a challenge and it's more of a challenge now because 
um, a lot of these startups and things that you've talked about um, are very competitive with Valric, right? Um, uh, you know, in the past, you've only had a few big fish in the pond, you know, General Motors, Valrec, and, you know, that's where people lined up and wanted to go. Now there's, there's a lot, and this is great. It's exciting that there, there's a lot of opportunity that's being created out there in different industries. So you have more diversification. I, I would say our, our biggest challenge is making sure that, um, you know, we're providing for our employees, making sure that they're uh, uh, heard um, and are comfortable with what they do. And, you know, in these challenging times, um, you know, we were able to achieve a great place to work status and get our certification for that this year, uh, indicating, you know, that our workforce does like working here. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, we must be doing some things correctly. Um, I think our, our score this year was 74%, wow. which is uh, pretty high compared to, I think the industry average through great place to work is 59%. Wow. Um, so, you know, we have that confidence that that's there. Um, and we do understand that we have to be continually looking at that and being aware of that. Uh, now that said, looking at the labor market in general, um, it is going to be a major challenge going forward. Um, you know, it, it was a challenge before any of this to find people that qualify, uh, that had even interest in coming into the manufacturing setting. Uh, so when you add these extra things on, it puts the burden on the trade schools. Uh, it puts burden on people like me who have to figure out how to find people to come in. Um, so our efforts are going to have to even go higher than what we were doing before. And oh, by the way, you have this challenge of COVID holding you back. Right. Um, and so, there's a perception of manufacturing being this kind of an old, dirty, industrial, non-personal Right. Work environment. But you're saying that your challenge is like, how do you communicate the fact that it's actually not that it's, right. it's modern? Well, part of the problem is, and, you know, through my observations is, you know, and, and I don't know if you had the same experience, but when I was a kid um, living in Warren, Ohio, um, there was factories all over the place. You go to the grocery store with your mom or you go to the restaurant. There was always some guy or gal there with their, you know, factory coat on or whatever, picking up their lunch. And it, it was part of the norm. And you asked a lot of questions about that. And you also had the opportunity in your communities to go into these factories and mills and things and walk around and look at the stuff and watch these people working and making things. And over the years, that's all gone away. You know, part of it's due to, you know, the downturn in our market in this area. Um, it's due to uh, safety concerns, you know, most of your companies won't allow just the general public to come in and walk around and look at, you know, people making wiring harnesses or whatever it may be. Um, so I think over the course of time, you've lost a lot of that interest there, that inherent interest. And then it's just completely gone out of the conversation. So parents, if they're not working in those industries anymore, um, they're not having those conversations at the dinner table about their workday, about, you know, making whatever it is they make. So the kids lose interest in all of that, or they don't know about it at all. Right. Um, so that's the challenge is trying to project the success of working in a manufacturing environment and being able to provide for your family or buy a new car or whatever it may be 
that's of interest to, to younger people um, and understand that, you know, there's all these other things that go on in these factories that you're unaware of. You know, you not only have people that are making whatever widget it is, but you have people like me who work in HR, you have accountants, you have people who purchase equipment and products and stuff to make the company run. And there's all these different things that go on behind those smokestacks too. So there's opportunity there that they're unaware of. Um, and that that is the biggest challenge is trying to get a, a branding and an understanding out into the communities where we work or where we are to understand that that thing you drive by every day, there's a lot of successful people working in there and you should right. take a look at it. Right. So I know we only have you for about two more minutes. So do you have any um, parting thoughts or perhaps challenges you want to give to our audience around how to encourage careers in modern manufacturing or encourage them to speak to their kids about soft skills and the importance thereof? Um, well, the, the first part of that, I, I think it is important for parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles to, to make sure your kids understand what you do. Uh, what do you do for a job? A lot of kids, they, they know that you leave every day and you come back every day and there's food in the fridge and, you know, milk in the fridge every, every week. Um, but they don't understand what that is. And you need to, to make sure they understand if you do work in manufacturing, what you do and, and how successful it is and how it fits into the broader scope of how things are. You know, Valoric makes pipe to drill for oil and gas. So, uh, you know, me being here is making it so you can drive up to the gas pump and have your car keep running because you can put gas in your car, right? And as kids understand all that stuff, they, they get a better idea of what all that is and what that means. And um, they start asking questions. And that's probably the biggest thing is getting them interested enough to start asking the right questions to see where, whether or not that's a path for them to go down. And that doesn't mean it has to be my job or what you do, Jeff. It, it means if you want to, or you aspire to go into a trade or you wanna work in a mill somewhere and work your way up, that's okay. Success is always there um, as long as you have drive, right? So if you have the drive to go and do that, you're going to be successful at whatever it is. And if parents start having that conversation with kids, I think it gives them more options. They don't, they're not under as much pressure to do one specific thing. Right. I think it's wrong to, to have a, a school or a school system say to a kid in, uh, in their freshman year that you have to declare what you're going to do, what your career path is going to be. Um, when they haven't been exposed to everything that they need to see. Uh, they can't make a, a determined decision on which way to go if they don't have all of the stuff in front of them. Right. Um, so I think that's important. Um, I think it is important for parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles to uh, work with kids on having conversations, like genuine conversations, uh, have them, you know, trying, trying to get them to interact with, uh, you know, the general public. I, I personally see this with my own kids where like, uh, you know, I have two boys and a girl and my daughter refuses to order her own food. It makes her nervous. Like she doesn't, she doesn't know how to do it. And I find that just unbelievably <laughs> amazing. Like how you live in my house and you can't, you know, order food from a, uh, you know, somebody at a restaurant. Um, but it's, it's a thing that they just haven't grown up with. 
And I think it's very important for them to get some basis of <clears throat> social skills to be able to go out into the workforce or even to get a job. Right. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you go. If you if you're at Chick-fil-A, Chipotle, anywhere, they're going to expect you to interact with them to make sure that or to make a determination of whether or not they're going to give you some employment. Um, so they have to work with the, the kids on all of that. Um, but I, I think we're not going to be successful in this labor market, going back to the first part of this, until we have genuine, real conversations about what manufacturing is from the household, not from me, not from you. It's got to be conversations that are had at the dinner table about, you know, these other opportunities that are out there for you. Um, and I think we're at a point now where we're getting past the fact that, you know, we got hit hard back in the early 80s with the downturn in the steel market. And I think that's that that's where our underlying problem is now. Right. Is, you know, it's it's that generation squashed all of that. They said, no, you're not doing that anymore. You're all going to go to college and that's the only way you're going to be successful. And that was true for a certain period of time. Now we've seen this uptick, and especially in the Youngstown market, where you have all this manufacturing coming back in and we don't have anybody who has interest in going into it. So it, it, everybody needs to start having that conversation that yes, this is a viable path for you. Um, and oh, by the way, you don't have to stay there. You get the skills, those skills are transferable nowadays. Right. That's great advice, Chris. I know um, we're, we're just at the end of our time here, but you've been really generous with your time and your insights. We've learned a lot today. And we thank you so much for joining us on the Bringade podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Before we go, I'd like to thank members of the Brain Gain Coalition, especially our great sponsors. Without them, none of this would be possible. So a big thank you goes to Sweeney, Chevrolet, Buick, GMC, the Moransky Companies, and the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition. Thanks so much for their support. And also, please follow, like, and subscribe to this series on your favorite podcast player. And if you have any questions, just go ahead and connect with me on LinkedIn, one of my favorite places. You can find me over there at Jeff Leo Herman and send me a message. I will see you next time. I'm growing up in this life and to the human that I need to be. I know that I am not alone. I'm brave. I got what it takes. I'm